Luke. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is German for welcome back in honor of finally, endlich, returning to <laughs> racing this weekend. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? It's really happening, Danny. It's happening. Unglaublich. Uh, I can't believe it. I totally forgot that we start these podcasts with you speaking a different language <laughs> because it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, I, for one, I, for one, voted for us not to do this podcast because the last time we did this, it, uh, it, it, it jinxed the whole thing and we yeah, didn't we end up it. having a race that weekend. So here's hoping that our second pre-race podcast of the year goes a little bit better. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. The difference uh, between this podcast and that one is this time I'm pretty sure there's going to be a race. Like, I feel like, oh, hell yeah. Like, the, we are speaking the race into existence. That last podcast, the pre, the pre-Australia the pre one, everything I was saying basically, like, had this big asterisk <laughs> next to it where I'm like, yeah, this race, which is definitely going to happen. These are the things you got to watch out for. Uh, these are going to be the big stories of the weekend. Not the global pandemic that is shutting the world down around this race, but, like... I don't know. Who was sandbagging during testing? We'll find out. <laughs> I think we did Turns mention... Turns like, it was the CDC. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we did mention a guy, uh, like, was tested positive for COVID. The bar. At a, yeah, a bar, like, next yeah. to the track. We're like, hopefully that doesn't mean anything, but whatever. Here we go. Uh, yes, we have a season, ladies and gentlemen. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you are new to Formula One itself... Uh, we've got an episode for you. Uh, episode 96 is our preseason primer that assumes no prior F1 knowledge and gives the lowdown on how the sport works and who everybody is. So uh, if you want to go back and listen to that, you can do so. Episode 96. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series and a lot of weird things so if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff uh, head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link uh, in the show notes uh what's been going on this month danny yeah i had a great response to our latest patron exclusive podcast that went up last week just last friday actually uh, which was all on and they go sorry and we go green which is the formula e documentary that is available on uh, it was Hulu, right? And then I believe it was actually in the UK that it was available on YouTube. We had some people uh, chatting about it in the Discord. So, yeah, it was fun. We chatted about that whole thing for about an hour and 20 minutes. It was a, a lot of fun. And if you become a patron, you can check that out, along with almost a dozen film reviews of various uh, um, F1 and racing uh, uh, documentaries and movies and, and loads of other stuff, primers for different racing series, loads of that stuff. So you get all the backlog as well if you sign up over there. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking about that movie. It was it surprised me in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, it kind of felt like the... Um, I mean, we talked about it in the podcast, but it kind of felt like the... the uh, what's the series again? Why am I blanking on this? The Drive F1 to Survive. Series. <laughs> yeah, it was like the Drive to Survive of Formula E in a way because it kind of got at least a handful of the drivers, you kind of got a good understanding of who they were. But, but in a very different also, tone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, but, and, but I really enjoyed it. It's cool, but nobody, but nobody gets assaulted with a champagne glass by somebody wearing a shirt that says "fossil fuels" on it and <laughs> trying to survive. So. That's true. Yeah, you got to weigh those up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Well, today we will be discussing the upcoming Austrian Grand Prix, the first of two races at the Red Bull Ring. 
Um, but first, um, I guess like a a recap of things that are new for 2020. This is not, I mean, we'll go over a little bit, I guess, what we went over in the primary episode, but this is really like um, things, things have kind of changed, even though cars haven't been on track since testing and now, really. Uh, there have been some sort of things that have changed. And if you're coming to this now from the 2019 season, sort of a refresher section for what's new, like new drivers. Mm. Esteban Ocon is back, for example. Oh, yeah. Maybe you forgot. He's back in, in, in Renault. <laughs> um, Nicholas Latifi is moving up from Formula 2 to take uh, Robert Kubica's seat at Williams. So uh, he'll be racing his first Formula 1 race this weekend. Racing. <laughs> Driving. Driving. Operating. Following a machine. <laughs> um, and we had some some driver news in the for the, the extended preseason. Uh, <laughs> Sebastian Vettel is out after this year at Ferrari. Don't know where he's going next currently. He is not retiring. Um, Carlos Sainz is taking his place, uh, vacating a spot at McLaren, which Daniel Ricciardo is filling. Uh, so we don't know who is going to be replacing Ricardo at Renault yet. Um, so we don't know where Vettel's going, and we don't know who's replacing uh, Ricardo at Renault. So those, that so stuff strange. is still up in the air. It's weird. I just realized how strange this is. Because, I mean, it, this sometimes in the past has happened, you know, when someone's contract's <clears throat> running out and there's a couple of races left in the season to start a season. <laughs> Yeah. Knowing that these drivers are, like, this just feels very strange. It's like The lame it's duck like season take- just isn't a thing. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's kind of like taking your like like you've already asked your ex to go to the prom and you but you know you're dating someone else. It's like this weird sort of like we're all just kind of gonna pretend this is okay and normal. Okay, Means Vettel yeah, might just be sure. out there raging on the dance floor. You know, we like we <laughs> yeah. might see something we've never seen before. My bet is probably not. My 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 actual suspicion is things get messy, but uh, you know who knows. <laughs> Uh, speaking of messiness, we had um, uh, a, a real spanner thrown in the works, as it were, uh, during testing with Mercedes's newfangled technology DAS dual oh axis steering, uh, which this was fifteen years ago, Drew. I, I know. Believe. So long ago, we didn't even know it existed until the cars were on track uh, for testing, and then people like analyzed footage from the onboard and we're like wait what are those front tires doing <laughs> if you recall they uh mercedes is able to move the wheel forward and back in it in addition to turning it left and right to change the toe angle of the front wheels so i think pushing it forward will cause the uh tires to angle in like if you were walking pigeon toed um and theoretically this would help um, you know, being able to change that uh, for a straight versus a turn would aid in grip and lap time. Only Mercedes really knows how effective it is because, you know, mm. uh, they were the ones <laughs> getting the data from the testing. Um, so it's remains to be seen whether Mercedes is going to actually run DAS. They ran this whole thing by the FIA before testing and apparently the FIA gave a thumbs up on it. Although, you know, Mercedes is not racing in a vacuum. There are other teams out here like Red Bull who love to lodge complaints against things that might uh, run afoul of the rules. Um, 
And because we didn't actually go racing in Australia, the rules say that you have to lodge a complaint only once the technology has been on track. So, mm. so you, you could say uh, Mark Priestley, uh, former McLaren engineer, I believe, uh, pointed out um, recently that Mercedes might not even take that chance of getting disqualified um, if the margins on DAS that they saw in testing were minuscule, right? Like, why yeah. risk it if it's not that big of a deal? Um, Especially so if it's banned next year. And a DQ this year is like, yeah, and a DQ this year is with with so few races is, is yeah. way worse. Like, yeah, every we, one bad thing that happens in a race is way worse this year. Very true. So we, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen in that region. So keep your eyes peeled. Uh, speaking of testing, just a, a quick recap here. Um, Mercedes did look the strongest in testing. Uh, probably not a surprise, but um, Red Bull, I think, made a uh, a marked improvement over last year. Um, and then Ferrari, the general consensus is, was around third place. Um, McLaren and Racing Point uh, also looked strong. Racing Point basically is a duplicate of the 2019 Mercedes car. Yeah. And that seemed to be working for them in testing. Um, the low mid tiers like Alpha Tori, which Ugh. there's a team called Alpha Tori now. Get used to that. Hate it. Um, and Alpha Romeo seemed fine. Uh, no surprises really in testing. Uh, although Renault kind of looked shaky and uh, others like Haas and Williams didn't exactly show a lot of improvement. Although for Williams, the only way to go is up. So um, mm. that was kind of going in uh, or coming out of testing in the COVID interim, however, which was three months, two of which teams were not allowed to do any work on the cars. Um, they, some teams made bigger changes than others. Um, they're actually not allowed to work on 2022 cars, uh, which is the big change. We moved the uh, the 2021 regulations to 2022, but you're not allowed to work on that 2022 car. You can only work on your current one and the next one um and additionally i think the 2020 car is basically what the 2021 car is going to be uh so we might not see a lot of changes over the year uh, or what you might see is the exact opposite like people uh having a compressed timeline and we need to get everything out now um but it looks like for this first race mercedes and red bull have made some improvements uh and in red bull's case a new spec honda engine uh is mm. coming uh Renault is also bringing quote significant improvements for austria which is probably good for them because in testing they were uh, again a little shaky <clears throat> um serial beatable the team principal of Renault says we're not uh, we're still not totally sure about the competitive competitiveness of our car from the winter test i don't want to say too much at this point so Optim optimistic then great yeah <laughs> sounds wonderful over at Renault. uh things are a little more complicated with ferrari rob what's been going on with ferrari yeah so ferrari uh their team principal uh mattia bonato explained that the team won't be bringing improvements to the austrian <laughs> races not because they haven't been making improvements but because their improvements are more holistic in nature. Uh, and basically, like, what went down with Ferrari is when, like, the... When the work stoppage was allowed to lift, 
they realized they didn't really have time to do the whole cloth revision they wanted of they wanted to do of the Ferrari. Uh, you had a lot of people redesigning different parts of this year's car, but there was no real idea of like how they might end up fitting together. So what Ferrari did was they basically said, we're going to run the version of the car uh, that we were going to run in Australia. We're going to start the season on that car like we planned uh, and we're run the two races in Austria on that car. But the plan right now is uh, that when they go to Hungary for the third race uh, this year, they're going to roll out a pretty much like full, like full rethink of this year's Ferrari. Uh, Mm. And so their, their hope is that they're going to like, it kind of sounds like they're, they're going to take the L on the start of the season. Uh, That car that performed so badly in testing, they're just a little bit stuck with that. uh, Despite, their improved understanding of their car, uh, but they they're pretty confident that uh, they're going to roll out substantial changes uh, for the for the rest of the season after that. It's a shame for them because they've always uh, done well in or at least the past three years. Ferrari has performed well in Austria, especially because Mercedes kind of tends not to do. It's kind of one of their boogeyman races. So, yeah, that's a bit of a shame for them. I, I bet they'll be want to be. Back in racing form for whenever the Italian stuff kicks off. <laughs> Bernardo had an interesting spin on that. Uh, he sort of he, he argued that the unique aspects of racing in Austria tends to be warm, tends to be high altitude. Uh, like he tends to think that, given what they understand about the uh, other version of the car, they think it might actually hold up okay. In Austria, that might just be that might be the thing you say so that you're not basically telling your team like, look, we're about to get our asses kicked. Uh, (laughs) But nevertheless, like it does make it does kind of make sense, though, right? Like there are those outlier courses uh, that just throw throw weird results compared to everything else. Like, you know, Red Bull being dominant there, uh, Mm. you know, last year. So who knows? Um, it, It could work out, but we will see. I think the. The big thing is that I don't think the track record with Ferrari mid-season, mid-season improvements has been particularly good, uh, especially when you sort of rule out the um, the curious performance they gain when they – that curious performance gain they enjoyed uh, when they started playing with their fuel flow uh, mm. limiter. So I think this is kind of a test of – how good is Ferrari at doing on-the-fly revisions, especially because right now they're kind of flying blind. Um, on the other hand, this is a bit more similar to getting a do-over, maybe, how they're executing this. So I'm really curious to see how this plays out for them. Yeah, I think worth pointing out that that fuel flow thing has been pretty well closed off with the regulations. So that's you know a setback for Ferrari. So maybe this... You, you know how whole raft of uh, changes could be a, a result of uh you know uh a rethink in that department as well um some smaller changes williams uh, and mercedes both have new liveries williams because they lost a sponsor uh mm. and mercedes um because they want to uh promote diversity so they will be running a black livery for the remainder of the year Rob? well and also because they got the sponsor that dropped williams 
Uh, oh really (laughs) yeah like i uh, i don't know if this deal actually came through but i know that it was um like expected to be announced in the moment uh like late yesterday i was reading the news but yeah so williams had the rocket sponsorship uh and so their livery for the season had all the rocket branding all over it i thought it was pretty pretty crap uh honestly as far as their livery (laughs) goes like especially compared to that great uh martini livery they used to have either way so good uh they parted ways with rocket and then the word recently was that uh rocket is going to announce a deal with mercedes uh so Mm. mercedes is changing its um its its livery to uh sort of express its commitment to diversity and uh at the same time, they're also making a little room for the title sponsor that will end up just ghosted on Williams. Man. Um, well, some teams were actually able to do some on-track running um, as media events. Uh, seven teams, in fact, although uh, the, some of the smaller teams, Alfa Romeo, Haas, and Williams... Uh, did not probably for for cost reasons tough to say how much this actually helps um but if it were me designing and building a car i would just like to know i'd sleep a little better at night knowing that it turns on and goes around tracks um but yeah that's uh that's kind of the the picture of the teams we have a i guess a few weird regulations and rules formula one's going to look a little different of course um in the age of covid uh all drivers, for instance, are getting the same tire allocation. Um, if you recall in past uh, seasons, drivers got to pick, I want this many medium tires, this many hard, this many soft going into the weekend. Now everyone gets the same. And I think this is to ease uh, Pirelli's duties a little bit about yeah, actually logistics. shipping. Yeah, logistics. Um, mm. Everyone is getting eight soft tires, three medium, and two hard uh, going into cool. the race. I bet most drivers were within two decisions of that you know what i mean that's that feels about right yeah that's that's kind of the average um and uh of course weird covid regulations rob you have a you have a bit of a handle on this yeah so obviously these races these races are running under the closed event uh rules which already have some different uh rules in place i i gather for how fia runs these events uh but in addition to that the race day is just going to be different in a lot of ways um i think we're all used to the grid walk segment for one thing where we sort of have camera crews going up and down the grid but the big thing is everyone congregates around their cars uh you know on the on the grid as they get ready to race uh they're it sounds like they're really trying to cut down on the congestion uh when it comes to like how cars are being brought out uh, on on the track. Um, one of the other major things is this idea of um, COVID bubbles is the way of describing it, which is that they're trying to isolate uh, at the very least. What is mandated is the teams themselves are isolated in what they call like a bubble. Like uh, Williams crew can't go and shoot the shit with people from a neighboring pit stall. That like so teams have to socially distance from each other. Uh, and there's going to be I think tests every five days uh, to see if someone has contracted COVID. Uh, the initial plan I think was every two days. They've uh, sort of stepped that down. 
But within the teams, according to Ferrari and I think Renault, but it sounds like this is also going to be pretty universal up and down the grid. The teams are also trying to create separate bubbles within their teams so that parts of the uh, team, which is already going to be a lower head count uh, for race weekend than it's been in the past, but parts of the team don't necessarily interact with each other unless like it's absolutely necessary. And so Ferrari, uh, Leclerc's garage is isolated from Vettel's. Uh, there's no crossover in mechanics. Uh, those, those two crews need to stay distant from each other. Uh, I want to say it may have been at Renault. They were talking about, um, the power unit, uh, people, you know, your, your crew that is there to take care of the engines and handle things like engine maintenance or engine replacement during the race weekend, uh, that is also separate from the pick, from the from the garage crews. So that's a separate group that comes in and works separately. But it's also up to the t- discretion of the teams how strictly they want to observe this, so that the inter-team bubble that is an FIA rule. That is that is how they're running the that is how they're running race weekends this year. Uh, but if, for instance. You know, Renault needs to do a very fast engine swap. It sounds like it is left to the discretion of teams whether or not they want to breach those internal barriers uh, to get work done um, and just absorb that risk. Uh, as you know, a couple of teams pointed out, a lot of this is about resiliency. Uh, you know, the the notion that the odds of this season going off where nobody up and down the paddock gets COVID. That's probably not likely. That's not, that's not the arc of this thing. Um, the idea is slowing the spread and making it so that no team or part of a team gets completely, you know, knocked on its ass uh, due to COVID sort of transmitting uncontrolled. So that's, that's the real idea here is to create a durable and resilient enough system so that formula one can get through the season even if here and there you have people testing positive uh, for COVID, you don't have like a mass epidemic up and down the uh, the, the paddock. Um, let's see. Is there is there anything beyond that, Drew, uh, in terms of COVID procedures? I, I just uh, had a, a few notes from a, a Mercedes YouTube video that they put out about their logistics leading up to this uh, race. And they were talking about how like when we go from the UK to Spain, they they can't like have people, you know, come with the gear. They have to like send, basically like effectively stop the trucks at the border, get out, and then the Spanish team who has been in Spain and is cleared then gets in the trucks and continues driving. So right. you can't like because you can't pass into Spain without you know the two week uh, um, oh quarantine quarantine or whatever yeah um that just sounds like a nightmare having to juggle every right. single country's different um you know rules for all of that right, uh, but also, that's not happening in Austria right uh I don't I don't know I mean they have like they'll the have to drive from Austria weeks. to Hungary um. So. Yeah, but I'm just saying for the folks who have been in England, driving to Austria would require driving through at least France or Germany. Right, yeah. So I'm wondering, like, or they know. flew and they got special dispensation or, yeah, I have no idea. They also mentioned that um, 
before the before the the, the first time we tried to start the 2020 season um teams ship stuff on boats like on container ships to different right. parts around the world it's usually like the um you know the garage the pit board that kind of stuff not cars necessarily mm. um but like other stuff that you need at the track for a weekend um only this week in the uh the com- this coming week um in july the first week of july are the boat shipments uh for baku arriving back in the uk they've taken that wow long. that's wild yeah um, and of course, as we talked about last week, we have uh, some new incomprehensible TV graphics coming up. So keep your eyes peeled. More on those. them in the emails. Oh, great. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we take it to some news? Let's do it. Speaking of the calendar, we haven't really seen much change here. Um, we sort of locked down the first eight races uh, a few weeks ago, and they haven't really moved. I know. Uh, people are trying to, you know, vouch for their circuit and say, you can race here. But uh, as, as of right now, we're still stuck at eight um, starting uh, again this weekend, the 5th of July for the Austrian GP staying in the Red Bull ring for the Styrian GP. Um, the 19th of July, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix at the Hungara ring, the, British Grand Prix will take place on August 2nd at Silverstone. Uh, and then a week later, August 9th, the Formula One 70th Anniversary Grand Prix will take place at Silverstone. Uh, August 16th uh, is the Spanish Grand Prix at uh, Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia. I almost said Barcelona. Um, <laughs> and then uh, August 30th is the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa. And then we've got the Italian Grand Prix, September 6th at monza um another thing they pointed out in that video is that when you have these back-to-back like austria austria britain britain races they don't really feel like a double header because you don't have to tear everything down move it and then set it back up again it's kind of just you just get to kind of hang out so it's not it's Mm. not entirely that bad Um, although there are actually a lot of triple headers here so it's it's the 5th of july the 12th of july then the 19th of july in a different place um that might not be the only Italian Grand Prix, though, Rob. What have you heard? Uh, yeah, so there's a number of circuits that are lobbying hard to get back on the F1 calendar. Imola uh, being one of them. Uh, used to be an F1, uh, famous F1 venue. We haven't yeah. been, been back there in a while. Uh, but apparently the one that sounds like it might actually be closest to uh you know, a done deal is the Miguelo uh, circuit, which is is like Ferrari's home court. Uh, I don't know how much that means quite anymore, at least as far as Ferrari F1, because obviously testing restrictions are so strict that it, like the days of just being able to run your car just they're just done. Nevertheless, though, this is like the Ferrari track. This is this is like their their test track, uh, and I gotta be honest, I'd like I'm looking at the circuit map. Looks like a pretty good circuit. Uh, it seems to have some real character. Look at the photos, though. Look at the photos of this place. Uh, Mugello <laughs> is in Tuscany, and I swear to God, like, this track looks like the label on a fancy wine bottle. It is just incredible. <laughs> it's all rolling hills, uh, you know, vineyards, oh, wow. fields. It's incredible. 
This is the uh, well, this is how Rob gets his kicks now for, while being stuck indoors for four months. Is that we need to have we need to have all the the races to be in beautiful places like Austria and yeah, it looks incredible. Shots. I was looking at don't yeah, even, exactly, don't even just, let me see the cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be something else. I like the idea of like that'll be fun, like a fun thing out of this whole you know catastrophe would be to at least get access to some of these tracks we've not seen in a little while especially if they're in beautiful places yeah i mean that wouldn't that be the a kick in the head if like this is the year that reminds everyone that formula one used to have like nothing but <laughs> wall-to-wall bangers uh you know and then <laughs> like the things they started to cut out of the schedule to chase uh more international money was class you know were classic tracks and getting away from mm. uh sort of the old european circuits not that we haven't had some not that we don't have some great tracks out there uh but like Magella looks cool and also seems to have kind of a funky layout uh that i'm re- like that i would be really excited to see uh see people racing on yeah um something else we might see this weekend uh danny you uh found this new story in the guardian yeah they're reporting out of the guardian saying that f1 drivers are currently discussing plans to take a knee uh before the austrian grand prix uh these sort of uh, symbols of solidarity with the uh, black lives movement are fairly prevalent at the moment in british sports the premier league has been adopting a knee including like the refs and lines people um before i think every match every match i've watched so far they've done it um and with a accompanied by like a number of uh, seconds of silence as well um so i guess the, i don't think the guardian was able to get quote from hamilton um he's pretty hard to get a quote from most of the time but of course um uh, the meme master lando norris was on hand to talk about it a little bit so i got some quotes from him um some of the drivers have already been speaking about taking a knee norris said if we are going to do it we should all do it as a grid it will be discussed following the briefing with the driver sorry the grand prix drivers association on friday uh, that's this coming friday and uh, we will do whatever we can to show we care and respect everyone we will do what is right when the time comes um and then further reporting from the guardian like hamilton norris will carry the end racism message on his car the 20 year old mclaren driver recently encouraged his social media followers to sign petitions following hamilton's criticism of his peers for staying silent on the matter I want to do better than the other driver. Sorry, I want to do better than any other driver, but everyone should be given the same opportunity and treated the same. Nara said, "It's not fair. People get treated differently because of their race. Uh, this sport reaches millions, and the more we can do as drivers, teams, and as a community in Formula One, the bigger impact we have." Um, uh, and just on the point of the bubble stuff as well, um, uh, there's a quote near the end of this article I thought was interesting uh, where Norris says, I will be in a bubble speaking to and interacting as f- with as few people as I need to. I have pretty much spent the last three months on my own, so I'm used to it. We will have people on standby and people on backup to jump into different roles if uh, people fall ill. We all want to be here until the final race in December. So we'll take the precautions to make sure we can continue our job. Just kind of echoing what Rob was saying about, you know, the the, the chances of us getting through this uh, without, a, without a scuffle is uh, unlikely. So everyone seems to be taking it pretty seriously. Um, but yeah, in relation to the, the knee stuff, yeah, it seems like it's kind of, F1 especially being such an international sport, um, it feels like perhaps if they don't, it will be felt uh, almost more, then if they do, it'll be 
felt. I, I guess I, I can't really speak to that myself personally, but um, yeah, it's 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 been a fairly normal thing. There was a bit of backlash in the UK about it from you know likely corners um, when the Premier League started to do it. But uh, I like the way Lando was out there being this way. Like there was a, 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 a there was a a little like a clip from his Twitch channel floating around about three weeks ago when somebody was saying something about a woman driver who was being overtaken in a clip he was watching and he basically told his mod to like ban anyone who shit talks women drivers like he's he's seems like a guy who's got his head screwed on and also isn't you know isn't scared about being a a, a vocal ally so fair fair play to him but yeah it should be interesting um to, to see what the reaction will be from the the garages and the drivers and especially hamilton yeah well um if you currently don't have the ability to watch Formula One, um, they are running a promotion for F1 TV, which is their streaming service. Uh, you can get 25% off with the code BACK25. Um, BACK25. What's that back, mean? Back to... We're, we're back, and it's 25% we're back. off. Oh, got it. Okay. We're back. A Formula <laughs> One story. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to mention as well, just a little bit of news, was the uh, uh, we talked about Alex Nardi last week, and um, uh, he is still in his uh, medically induced coma, I believe. He's still in hospital, um, and uh, Ferrari will be having will be putting a, a hashtag Forza Alex uh, livery on, the, or uh, I guess sticker emblazoned on their car, and uh, we're likely to see a bunch of other um, drivers doing something similar as well. So. Keep your eye out for that and keep your ears to the ground on poor Alex Nardi. But it's not the first time we've had, you know, it feels like sort of shoomy all over again a little bit, you know, yeah. where you kind of right just waiting for Right down to the family that sort of announced they're doing a press blackout unless things really yeah. change. So uh, it's uh, really upsetting, uh, scary story. Hopefully, um, hopefully these early indications are leading us astray um, and yeah. we see him out there racing again. But uh, time will tell. Hmm. Yeah, um, I just wanted to point out one more thing. Uh, something you just mentioned, Danny, made me think of this. Uh, I, th- I believe either Chase Carey or Ross Braun has said um, a positive COVID test would not stop uh, Formula One. Yeah. Um, yep. But just recently, Serial Beatable, uh, again from Renault, uh, has <laughs> said that that might take out a whole team because if that happens, then you've got like a full day of basically testing everybody else, right? And so... If that happens on Saturday, there goes your qualifying, or Sunday, there goes your race. So, right, um, yeah, it it's going to be weird. It's all weird, but I am excited uh, to see what happens at this track, Danny. Yes, the track. We're going to do a track walk. I almost yeah. forgot how to do these. We were preparing our notes for this episode, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> I have to talk about the track. I forgot. I get to do. I have to get to do this. Um. Yeah, I I feel like the Red Bull ring, as we call it these days, uh, the uh, A1 ring, the Ostreicht ring, the Zeltwig track, as it's been known in the past, um, it's it's a bizarre little oddity. And uh, we were talking yesterday, I think, uh, we were sort of chatting with some friends, myself and Drew, about uh, what it's like jumping into Austria, because... I always love the first race of the season. Everyone does because we get to kind of see where the where the where the chips fall, right? And which way the dice rolls and and that coupled with a track which kind of does a little bit of a shuffle. It kind of doesn't feel so good for the Mercedes crowd. It it kind of leans towards Red Bull who 
apparently have been doing well in in testing um it's it's an odd little track it, it's kind of new it's an old track that we had for a long time that's been redesigned and is now uh new again it's 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 long but it also has hardly any corners it's just a strange little thing um for a little bit of a history lesson on it it was first used in 1969 uh, it was uh, in an area called uh, uh zeltweg was the uh, air the i guess um uh, what do you call it, um, airport that it was based on a lot of these old European um, tracks like Silverson, for instance, were done on those um, three, what are they, like triangle-shaped airfields that were very popular post-World War II, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was one of those. And then uh, it eventually got sort of turned into, it got moved into uh, what we uh, knew as the Ostreich Ring, which literally stands for Austrian Circuit, I think. Um uh, and that's where it ran from 1970 until 1987. And it was one of these European death traps. It was kind of like Spa, like the old configuration. It was, you know, a lot of woods. It was longer than the one we have now. The one we have now is just shy of four kilometers. It was This one was just shy of six for the longest time. Um, and it did take lives, uh, perhaps most notably Mark Donahue in 1975, who died during practice. Um the 1987 race was restarted twice because of accidents on the start-finish straight. You might have uh, seen that I've put a video linked to the uh, F1 YouTube channel and uh, we'll stick in the show notes that uh, that shows it. It's a fairly famous uh, double start. It, it, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of the spa one that happened in 1995, I want to say, where they had, had a double restart. The difference with spa was it was because mostly that was down to inclement weather. It was raining and drivers couldn't see. The problem with the old configuration of the Ostrike ring was that the pit straight was like barely enough for three cars to get down. And what happened was the first time they started, one of the cars didn't start properly, uh, was slow to get off the line. And then eventually, the first couple of cars got past them okay, but then eventually some backmarkers who were shuffling for position, or or I shouldn't say backmarkers, some folks further down the grid, crashed into them. Uh, red flagged the race because the whole start finish trade is covered in cars. Restart the race, exact same thing happens again. Oh, so, uh, yeah, it was, and it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, basically, for the Ostrike ring. Um it had already been deemed too dangerous by FIA standards uh, because of the lack of, or the amount of high-speed corners, the lack of protection from trees and embankments, um, and the narrow uh, uh, pit straight as well. Uh, and then the other thing that was pro- happening was that the cars were getting faster, and all of these problems were just getting worse and worse and worse. So it eventually got shelved, and it kind of sat around for a decade. <laughs> um, it got redesigned eventually. Herman Tilke took his... Uh, an axe to it don't worry and, i've got uh, it guys <laughs> and in fairness while sort of extending you know a lot of the safety uh that it required especially with stuff with runoff and, and cutting off parts of the track that were diving into the forest it kept a decent amount of the 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 essence of it i think budget was also an issue because they had to do a lot of work to build stands a lot of stuff had been torn down in the interim um this same thing happened again with Red Bull after when during the next break. But uh, one of the things that happened was that the little part they extended ended up going out into the next sort of municipality, which was known as Spielberg. So that's why it's now um, said to be in Spielberg. It was re- renamed the A1 Ring. That was a sponsorship deal with A1. And it ran there for, you know, a decent amount of time during that sort of late Schumacher era, 1997 to 2003. Uh, eventually, like a lot of circuits around that time, 
kind of wasn't pulling its weight a little bit, fell by the wayside. Um, and in those intervening years, it got uh, purchased by Dietrich over at Red Bull. Uh, for the longest time, nobody really knew what they were going to do with it. I'm not sure if he knew what they were going to do with it. It was kind of something that a lot of people thought maybe they bought and then were going to waste a lot of money doing something or that they were worried they were going to sink too much money in it. Would they sell it? A couple of Austrian F1 drivers wanted to buy it and make their own track. But eventually they uh, broke ground on a new track, put up a bunch of new grandstands uh, and opened it again in 2013 as the Red Bull Ring. And we have been enjoying races there ever since. Um, It's notable for being super fast uh, and having the fewest amount of corners on the calendar. Um, Nine, technically, though most people only recognize eight. I think there's like a a double kink on the first between turn one and two that they sort of also talk about. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's basically eight corners. Uh, it's very fast. It has three DRS zones now, which are all back to back. And that coupled with this sort of uh, downward spiraling um, arena area, which offers sort of like nice low traction um, difficulty for the drivers, makes it a, a, a really fun track and one the drivers enjoy quite a lot. Um, uh, a couple of, I guess, highlights you should probably have for this one. So the 3DRS rates are back-to-back. There's the start-finish straight. There's a, probably one of the sharper turns. The first two turns on the track are basically the sharpest. Uh, the first turn is then this big uphill DRS um, straight. <laughs> it goes up and to the left. Um, and then there's a, a right-hander at the top of that. That's where a lot of the overtaking happens. But unfortunately for whoever gets uh, the overtake, the next section is also a DRS straight, the shortest of the three, down into turn three. So there's an opportunity to um, uh, get back there. But it's also a turn that you don't really want to be diving down the inside of uh, because it's it's quite a, a, a wicked sort of double apex. So um Unless you're basically past somebody before the braking zone on three, you're not going to make it stick. Uh, but that means that we've, we, you know, we get a lot of nice fun battles there. Last year, we had this fantastic three-lap duel between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, which was maybe the most fun, you know, three laps of the F1 calendar last year. <laughs> and that was all down to that sort of uh, configuration of the three DRS straights back-to-back. Um like I said, that once you get past turn three, you're into this interesting little downhill section uh, with high-speed corners, so the drivers are constantly trying to uh, struggle for grip and traction while they're making their way through that. Um, another interesting part is that turn eight is kind of uh, uh, blind, or I guess tur- the, the penultimate turn. Um, it's turn seven on our graphic here because of that lack of consistency with the number of turns. <laughs> um, it's uh, You come over like the, the crest of a hill, basically, before you kind of see it. Um, so it can be a little bit tricky, that one. And it's another one of these high-speed corners. Lots of these corners taken incredibly fast. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of like fun stuff all over this track. And then you're back into DRS party zone uh, once you get back on the, on the start-finish straight. Uh, Verstappen's done really well here. Obviously, he has won the previous two races. He actually started in, uh, on pole last year and totally shit the bed. He was in ninth position by the time the end of that uh, first lap was over and then fought his way through the pack. And then had that great battle with Leclerc for uh, first, which gave Honda their first victory since uh, 2006. And we saw Honda representatives crying in the in the pits, you might remember, right. last year. Um, one thing that we will not be having this year, unfortunately, is the throngs of Dutch fans which lined the Austrian grandstands with uh, orange jerseys. Uh, Max Verstappen always has a, a pretty good, you know, barmy army of, uh, of fans with him and probably... 
more so here than any other one, although we were supposed to have Zandvoort this year, so I'm sure that would have maybe maybe some of them wouldn't have had to take the long trip to Austria this year. Um but uh we're not gonna have Zandvoort this year, and unfortunately we're not gonna have any of the Dutch fans in uh in the, the Red Bull ring either. So um we'll be without that. But uh one thing we will have is the running of this race uh with the turn one uh recently renamed i think it was uh late summer last year they renamed it the nikki lauda curve um after we lost nikki uh, uh last year so we'll keep keep an eye on that um as they're making their way up through drs zone number two some good turn names on this track uh turn uh <laughs> three slash four is schloss gold and then What's schloss Schloss, castle, I know that I word. That's, yes, you're right. It is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Old castle. And then um, the last turn is Red Bull Mobile, <laughs> or is it Red Bull? Or mobile? Is it Red Bull Mobile? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did they did they try and spin up a <laughs> SIM card company and it never kicked off? Right. Uh, we have Remus in here, but unfortunately Romulus didn't get uh, mentioned here. It's too bad. So. Rint is there. Uh, Y'all can Rint. Oh, really? Yeah. Rint. I wonder if that is. It must be. And then ranch, because everyone loves ranch. It's the it's the ranch. best Dorito ranch. flavor. It's the raunchiest. It's the raunchiest corner. R U A N C H. Wait, Love I it. don't think there's an N there. It's rauch. I think it's rauch. Yeah. Oh, it's just rauch. Okay. Yeah. That's just, that's You're just, just seeing just my, Dorito flavors. You that's just see. me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's 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 kind of amazing that Red Bull won the last two times because, um, as this article on Formula One dot com points out. It's a power circuit. There's not a lot of downforce reward here. And Red Bull yeah. has historically been a car, a team that's focused on aerodynamics and not on power because they've had Renault power, which, you know, recently has not been that great. But um, they won with outright performance uh, with Honda last year. Um, and also, I, I forgot to mention, AlphaTauri is also benefiting the new spec Honda power unit uh, this this time out in Austria. Um, and this article does point out that Mercedes uh, last year, their job was made more difficult by uh, a problem in their cooling capability. But you've got to imagine they've fixed mm. that this year, right? So we shall see. Well, that's, I guess, as Rob was saying at the top of the show as well, that's kind of the the asterisks on all of this is that when it gets hot there it really impacts the cars and mercedes suffered a lot last year because of that but it might not get hot there and then you're looking at a different uh a formula so well danny it's kind of a lot we are looking at set them up you knock them down man yep uh <laughs> we've got partially cloudy weather uh for both qualifying okay. day and race day saturday and sunday um temperatures around 70 degrees fahrenheit um or 21 if you're celsius climbing a couple degrees higher on race day um wind looks like uh, out of the north at around 10 kilometers an hour or six miles an hour uh slightly lower on qualifying day though uh precipitation very low one percent on saturday and uh eight percent on sunday so looks to be mm. slightly cool perhaps yeah cooler cooler yeah than we've had last year mm. um hey i actually get to talk about the fantasy league 
this oh time gosh. too. Oh my god! It's been in these, uh, the you know, um, rundown documents that we have <laughs> that we share with each other for the uh, for the episodes. But I've never, I haven't gotten to talk about it uh, for a long time. We have a Shift F1 league. You can uh, join it by clicking the link in the show notes. There's also a a code that you have to enter. Uh, it's one five zero a nine d o four nine nine. If you're if you're keeping track, um, if you're punching in right now, if you're already waiting, uh, and I opened up the ability for you to input three different teams, so you can nice. kind of mix and match, like go real hard in one direction here. You, if you've never used it, you pick th- uh, five drivers and one team, and depending on how well those um, uh, people and teams perform, you get points uh, for. Um, your collection of drivers and team um but each driver and team also costs a certain amount um and you have a budget cap so you can't just pick both mercedes guys both ferrari guys and the red bull Mm -hmm. team that would be too much money so you have to kind of mix and match and um guess who who what underdog is going to take home uh you know the the most bang for your buck points. I have chosen Sergio Perez on each of my three teams. Uh, so I'm, I'm going hard uh, with, with Checo. Um, and already in the shift F1 discord, I have seen some very strong team names. Um, <laughs> Sid Meier's Alpha Tori. Oh my God. That's fucking great. We've already got a winner. Yes. Done. Can't beat it. Uh, and a uh, <laughs> that, by the way, is by uh, uh, Shift F1 Discord user Ixnay. Uh, and this one by Ash Desert Wonderful. seems to be like a themed team of uh, okay. people in the Mercedes or somehow generally attached to Mercedes. <laughs> it's called uh, Toto's Large Adult Sons. And it is Esteban Ocon, George Russell. Valtteri Botas and uh, and the Mercedes team and Sergio Perez he drives a Mercedes car. That's great. Mercedes powered that is. Um, Haas the way uh huh uh huh I like it. <laughs> By that joke, love it. Yeah, big fan. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll try to pick out good ones when I see them, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I have uh, my number one team here is called Rick Energy two c's for ricardo oh, uh, although i think i think my third team get me the bends is going to do the best <laughs> got hamilton botas perez stroll and racing point so very strong mercedes <laughs> representation yeah uh and then esteban Ocon. that was which way the wind is blowing throwing in there i mean that that's not a bad idea that's probably what i do yeah <laughs> and my third team uh, is uh yeah. is called lego my Checo. nice why they Great pay work. me the big bucks uh hey man, we're all in quarantine this if you've got you've got more time than ever to, to ruminate on the name of your f1 team yes <laughs> keep it up uh should we take it to some emails danny let's take it to some emails you can email us via shiftf1 at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails this first one comes in from Whoa, lee in one. south carolina it's a biggie i already chopped down half of it so i'm gonna jump in and take Take one of the shredded remains of Lee's email here about graphics. Uh, Lee is uh, the Formula One subreddit editor 
um, oh, subreddit awesome. editor sorry um, so apparently him and his crew over there have been chewing on this one for a little while so I thought I'd share some of his thoughts he says hey guys thinking about these new graphics these are the TV graphics by the way if you didn't listen to last week's episode um, on the one hand I get uh, the angle y'all take with it I think Formula 1 and AWS work really hard to obfuscate raw data that we the serious fans just want on its own instead of giving me rating for a car in a low speed corner just give me more accessible sector data or apex speeds or something the raw data speaks for itself in the context of the race, as we, the series fans, already understand it. But does that help new fans interact with the sport? Right now, Formula One is pushing hard for new fans, both in the general motorsport community uh, and uh, brand new racing fans. Just look at all the things they've done in the past two years. Drive to Survive, increased social media and YouTube presence, engagement with sim racing, albeit by necessity, some may argue, uh, better TV coverage in countries with less F1 fans, uh, like his native US. Uh, it all adds up to Formula 1 management spending more money to attract new fans. And in uh, it is in that context that we see new graphics, along with tireware graphics from last year, really shine. You give polished, easy-to-understand stats to people. Uh, you drive their engagement with the content on screen. Uh, anything Formula 1 can do to make the sport more approachable to people, like my wife who doesn't care at all beyond watching the next season of uh, Drive to Survive, they will do. These graphics are part of that process. Does it confuse slash complicated da uh, complicate data? Sure, but a new fan doesn't need to know all the ins and outs. They need to know that the events on track are exciting because the slow car is actually chasing down the car that's faster or the fast car is coming up on the slow one after chipping away their interval overlaps or whatever else. The depth of Formula 1 is staggering. The combination of athletes, technology, strategy, and politics is what makes F1 interesting. The struggle is that a lot of that combination happens, uh, sorry, accommodation happens outside of the two-hour window of the race broadcast. Um, how can Formula 1 media best capture the attention of a new fan in that window? Graphics like that, in theory, help a lot. Uh, we must understand that the graphics aren't meant for the hardcore fan. That's what the extra data on F1.TV is for, or sorry, F1TV. Um, they need the typical F1 or TV broadcast to be compelling enough to keep fans around after only just a few races. Then they make data available uh, at more premium price for those fans that want more of it. Uh, the economics of something like Formula One that controls both the sport and the broadcast, which is wholly different from most American sports, uh, is very interesting. And thinking about the graphics in that context hopefully makes them more pragmatic and less sinful. And that's from Lee in South Carolina. I thought that was interesting. I didn't considered that sort of facet of it yeah i think i think lee makes a good point in that you know we're, we're kind of looking at the graphics in the context of the whole weekend and the whole narrative that we know about the teams and the drivers and stuff and we want we want more data for that purpose as that kind of a fan but yeah, I guess I, I didn't really consider like the person turning on the TV on race day. Yeah. Um coming in totally blind. I just wonder though if these graphics are that, you know? Are they actually understandable? Uh do do they actually add yeah. to something for a complete that's what I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they're if they're that way enough either. Right. Yeah, they're like, kind of in this weird middle ground. 
Yeah, the notion that this is for people who don't know all the ins and outs of F1, that's kind of obvious on its face, right? Like these are for, this is to basically surface stuff that a lot of people watching with their familiarity with the cars, with the narratives around the teams, with their performances through the weekend, that'll be... That will that will be knowledge that it's pretty well known to a lot of like hardcore fans watching the race. My problem with graphics like this is I compare it to the way uh, science is taught. Uh, like, do you remember when you were sort of going K through twelve? How every year or two, when you started a new round of science class, you learned that some of the abstractions you'd been taught had been oversimplified in ways that now were confusing, right? That like <laughs> there were certain like physical laws of the universe that it's like, well, okay. So you were told X all like, you know, a simple one, uh, you know, planets orbit the sun in great cir- circular orbits, right? In these concentric rings around the sun. And then eventually you're taught like, well, actually that's basically like never true, right? Like that orbits are <laughs> regular and they're elliptical, etc. Um, but, the reason this sort of the reason this analogy occurs to me is that I think there is a danger with abstraction in that if the abstraction isn't really well considered and isn't really well founded on some good underlying metrics, you end up with something that is a bad approximation that doesn't necessarily help illuminate a subject so much as misinterpret it in a way that will obscure it for longer than just trying to learn the underlying math. The thing that bothers me about a lot of these graphics is that I don't, I think they undersell what newcomers need from, from this, from the sport. The something as simple as like these cornering ratings, how is an abstracted cornering number better than a like how is that better than a speed trap number from a corner if we already have that data what is this car is a 6.6 this car is a 5.2 what could that possibly tell me that is useful compared to okay this 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 car maintained an average corner speed of 115 kilometers here this car actually had to cut down to like 102 to maintain the racing line that's actually night and day, right? Now I know exactly what mm-hmm. happened during a portion of the race, but that's not what these graphics ever promise. And by averaging it out this way, that way, I can see it maybe making it more accessible, but also it seems so fuzzy that it's a really poor substitute for 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 the underlying data. This needlessly overcomplicates it. I do wonder how much of this is because Formula One remains wedded to that vertical stack of intervals, driver position, et cetera, as your primary view on the, on the race. That, that graphic pretty much never goes away. How much of this is because the, the presentation is so stingy with things like a, a circumposition map, right? How much of this is because the presentation is really bad about bringing up that circuit position map so that when you see the live shot, you know that even though, you know, these cars are in this particular order on the track, the circuit, the, the course position map is also telling you that like, okay, these cars are near each other on the track, but one of these cars is a lap down, 
right? Or this car hasn't pitted. Like, this is the really basic stuff that I think F1 struggles to present, which is that a lot of times the running order and intervals is really contingent on pit strategy. And I feel like the, the broadcast really struggles to surface what the actual state of play is. Uh, after the as pit stops begin the cycle, I think to me that's probably where it it is least coherent in terms of telling the story of the match to casual viewers. I mean, how many how many times are we sitting a day later with our notes out trying to reconstruct what we <laughs> saw based on like what we now know about when people pitted because the TV didn't show it or we didn't realize that like. Uh, this pit stop was so, you know, wasn't disastrous, but it was significantly longer than it was supposed to be. It feels like a lot of times that overall state of play stuff doesn't get told very well in an F1 broadcast. And rather than solve kind of those, and that's a tricky problem, right? Because that involves multiple pieces of information all at once. But at the same time, rather than like maybe working to solve that part of the broadcast or rather than trying to build spaces in for commentators to run to run back through the 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 field and what the competing strategies are right now instead the solution is amazon web services has run it through their thinkatron 9000 and <laughs> here's a 100 point scale of which car goes zoomy fastest yeah yeah i, I think perhaps sorry go ahead danny no, 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 no. Go ahead. Um, I, I'm trying to draw comparisons between this stuff and what I see in other American sports like baseball and American football. Because um, baseball is, there are stats all over the place. And even like a casual baseball fan like me knows what RBI and ERA means. Um, and to some degree, something in um, you know football like the passer rating, right? I, I don't really know how that's computed, but it's something that everyone agrees is Trust somewhat yeah. of a telling uh, metric, right? And and I think where I uh, get a little frustrated is like, I'm sure there are metrics that driver coaches, that teams, like that these professionals use and it's not this stuff. Well, I think these are so, uh, just too vague. No, that's that's a good point. I, I love that parallel with baseball. I think one of the things that happened with baseball is that old school statistics like that, which used to be part and parcel of the casual fans' understanding of the sport, but also just how uh, team strategists, managers, uh you know, GMs, they also used to look at these things. The statistics revolution that overtook baseball meant that a lot of the tried and true numbers uh, that were used to interpret performance in baseball have become outmoded. So they're vestigial because like people look at like RBI ratings and think that's useful, right? But unfortunately it isn't anymore because they've created a lot of really, really naughty statistical instruments that, do tell you a great deal more about performance in baseball, but they are opaque to fans because the statistics are these kind of abstracted numbers that weave together a bunch of complicated 
um, metrics and like ways of framing performance and spit out some useful data. But unless you know what how that is constructed, it's kind of opaque. And so baseball has ended up in this place. And I think this is one reason baseball is in maybe a similar boat to racing where it's got an aging audience. It's not attracting a lot of uh, new fans is in part because baseball is kind of between a rock and a hard place where to understand what baseball is now nowadays requires drinking all the Kool-Aid first, taking a stats class and yeah. like following the shit out of it. The thing about motorsports is it's way less complicated. These are these are stopwatch problems for the most part. You know, these are again like most of the things we need in in motorsports are executed with a with a stopwatch and a radar gun. And that's the thing that bugs me is like uh, team sports like basketball or baseball do require all these ways to sort of prize, like pick apart context and like what the meaning of meaning of the action is. But motorsports, all you got to do is tell people like, look how fast that car go. Where's it losing time? Like, how's it like, what's it's, what's it's fuel consumption like based on what we know about the strategy. And that's the, that's the thing that bugs me is like, to me, it feels like these numbers are about scientism. It's about this illusion of precision where, like, we're bringing analytical computing power to this problem. That doesn't need analytical computer <laughs> computing power, right? It just needs somebody to tell you, like, what's up? What's happening? Uh, anyway, uh, our next email comes from Joe about the U.S. Grand Prix. Hey guys, first off, I love your podcast. It's been entertaining, very informative, and a great way to get me through the F1 withdrawals. I know that in your latest episode, you were talking about whether or not we would have races in the Americas this year, and it got me thinking. I know that they are building a new track at the Miami Dolphins Stadium, and even though it's not scheduled for completion this year, once it's done, do you think they will have only one race in the U.S. at Miami, or do you think they will also do one in Austin? Thank you for doing this podcast. It has been so helpful for getting through these trying times. Keep up the good work. Joe. Austin's not going anywhere. F1, yeah. F1's mission is to get at least two races in the United States. This has been like F1's had this weird arc where they basically retreated from the United States, lost all the market share, and have badly regretted that ever since that F1 became like kind of the Eurosport and Americans just completely lost touch with it. F1 badly wants to hit undo on that decision. And they, to do that, they also really want more than more than one race uh, in America and in American media markets. Uh, but Austin's not going anywhere that uh, that's a great track. It's a great facility. That one is probably pretty safe. I think where we get in trouble is what does the second USGP look like? Um, the Miami race is really troubled. Like mm. I don't know what the I, I don't know what the story is. I haven't, I haven't checked in on on Miami in a while, but uh, I know there were a lot of NIMBY issues. Um, it's also until a race is actually until an F one race is actually run, 
so much of this is about posturing. So much of it is about like talking about it like it like it's a done deal, and it just isn't. Uh, I remember Chris Christie going out and announcing with Bernie Ecclestone that by this time, two years from now, <laughs> F1 cars will be racing along the Hudson uh, with you know the New York skyline in the background. It's going to be yeah. incredible. And it never came close to happening because the stakeholders didn't really buy in. Um, mm. I know that there's been some talk about in Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, maybe dusting that thing back off. Um, at the very least, is a stopgap until F1 can figure out a more permanent solution for the second F1 race. That that infield track uh, in Indy is still there, so there's no reason they couldn't use it, except that I don't think it's particularly well-loved. Uh, so my guess is, Austin, that has a great future. My suspicion is even when they do get around to running a second USGP, wouldn't be surprised if it turned out to be a series of, like, troubled races and troubled venues while F1 tries to figure out long-term what the two American races look like. Yeah, totally. And I think that's kind of been the way it's played out up until now as well, basically, with the New York stuff and, and this Florida stuff. It's like they're they're trying to get that second one in there. And it makes sense because their American audience has blown up. We've noticed it, I mean, anecdotally, but over the course of doing this podcast. Um, but yeah, I'm totally with you. I feel like the the Austin Grand Prix, is a, it's in a great spot um it's uh it's popular people travel far for it the track is well loved um it's 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 almost kind of bizarre that there isn't a strong candidate for the second considering how many racetracks are in this country but when you look at the perhaps shrinking um love of other motor sports domestic motorsports in this country are certainly not growing at the rate of, as f1 it totally makes sense for them to get that second race um sooner rather than later uh i mean it's also hard to talk about both of these those states in a bubble right now bubble um uh, given what's going on with the with covid19 uh certainly you know i, I just thinking about because austin hasn't technically been cancelled right it, it could it's on the maybe list i think yeah. i feel like now it's again it feels like perhaps yeah, we're all shaking our heads. Right? Just, Florida. Just, um, the United States shit the bed too badly on COVID response. Yeah. Like the the yeah. issue is going to be a USGP is probably exclu- like mutually exclusive with doing races at any point after that. Um, yeah. So I think that's going to be the thing that decides it. That's why we can't have nice things. Mm. But we did get some nice emails. Uh, you can again you. hit us up at uh, shiftf1podcast.gmail.com <laughs> or f1.cool slash emails. Yes, Danny? Yeah, can I just say thank you to everyone who's just been sent. It's the uh, inbox has been a sort of repository of just sort of random thoughts from people for the past Good. couple of weeks. As, as we've slowly gotten just people saying, "Hey, just thanks," or you know, "What do you think about this?" or like something. You know, we keep we've had a couple of conversations on the podcast that have drifted into areas that have nothing to do with F one. People just shooting the shit about that, so it's kind of become like the off-topic inbox. That's of awesome. Late. So thank you to. Yeah, it's I, I, a lot of that stuff. I read them all, but a lot of that stuff doesn't make it over here because we try and keep it on topic for everyone else. But uh, thank you so much for all the emails, and I'm looking forward to all of your post race emails next week. It's a good way to to take the temperature, the audience. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Shift F One Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer, and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? It's time to race around the world.
and probably some esports. Yeah. Uh, didn't even look up esports, Danny, because I wow. am fully on board with real meet space, cars. Meet space. Uh, meet space. Meet space. And they're back, baby. Formula Two and Formula Three will be supporting uh, Formula One at the Red Bull Ring this weekend. Um, worth noting, uh, Formula Three's very first female driver, Sophia Flourish, uh, will be starting uh, uh, the season there as well. Awesome. That's good because we don't get W Series this year. So, correct. Get, get something. Right. Um, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is at Daytona International uh, Speedway, Raceway. They're at Daytona. They're at Daytona. Exactly. Yeah. That's officially what it's <laughs> called. Yeah. <laughs> Daytona. Um, IndyCar, they're at the International. Um, nope. The inter- mm, Take three. Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, at that road course, they're not doing the oval uh, this weekend. Um, and we got NASCAR also at the br- wait. Really, we got we got Indy and NASCAR at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Amazing. Uh, they're driving each other. They're, <laughs> it's everyone on track at the same time. Uh, Motorsports key party. Awesome. <laughs> uh, the irony is those cars don't even have keys. Uh is racing this weekend in the big machine hand sanitizer 400 powered wow. by big machine records. Wow. Rage against the big machine hand sanitizer. I was just thinking about go bowling when you were about to when you were priming that, and I was thinking, man, bowling alleys are fucked. That's like they're they're just donezo. Yeah. That's it. Game over, man. You got to handle these balls. You got to wash the balls. Yeah, but is that no way? Counterpoint. <laughs> bowling alleys are great at social distancing. Like most bowling alleys I've ever been to, unless I'm like in a really dense yeah. city usually like you go most times a day there's plenty of room between occupied lanes right like, like it's 50 kind of, lanes and four people there yeah yeah and so like here's the thing what if this is bowling's time to shine right oh. what if this is the but moment not too much not too yeah no, too that's much. the thing right like <laughs> like shh hey nobody nobody get this word out but maybe like when things reopen it'll be worth checking out like hey what are things like at the bowling alley? But like, if it's cool, don't tell anyone. Just go bowling alone. Nice. I know there's a sociology book about how that's probably not a good thing, but that was pre-pandemic. Now, bowling <laughs> alone, probably the best way to go bowling. But if the, is it, maybe the same applies to the cinema. Like all these open cinemas that are showing just like whatever movie nowadays. Uh, maybe that's perfect. You just go and be on your own. But it's like such a, it's such a thin line. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, like that's the thing. Like, you got to be willing to just bounce, right? Just walk away from that ticket, okay? Like like De Niro and he. Well, he d- he doesn't walk away soon enough, so that's a bad example. <laughs> but like like he wants to be. If you had the discipline, you walk into the cinema to watch an old classic, and if there's like nobody there, private screening. If it's like a dozen people there, eh, maybe not. Maybe you just like turn around and walk How about away. this? You go in the cinema and you check. And if you're the first one there, then you put a sign on the door that says, take off masks here and just put like a little tray with some discarded masks. And I mean, 
there might be some crazy person who's like, fuck yeah, <laughs> I don't wear my mask anymore, but it might just scare everyone else away. And then you get it to yourself and you can watch Gone with the Wind on your own. <laughs> be sure to watch Gone with the Wind in the theater before you can't ever again. Uh, Christopher if, Nolan's Gone in the Wind. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait to watch Tenet in 2015. 2025. Yeah, it's... Uh, wait, it's, it's, it's a time thing. Yeah. Don't worry, it's a time joke. Uh, speaking of uh, viewership, <gasps> in the US, Formula One is airing on ESPN networks. We've got uh, Friday, July 3rd, free practice one starting at 5 a.m., these are Eastern times, everyone. Uh, followed by Free Practice 2 at 9 a.m., both of those on ESPN2, The Deuce. Uh, Saturday, July 4th, Happy Independence Day. You've got Free Practice 3 at 6 a.m., followed by Qualifying at 9 a.m. Uh, got You know what? Yeah, I think I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. and watch Qualifying. I think, I think I'm doing that. The thirst uh, is real. Yeah. He's hankering. Sunday, yeah. July 5th, uh, The Race, everyone, 9.05 a.m. on ESPN. Coverage starts one hour prior. Wow. Danny. Prime time. Final Prime thoughts time, here. Going into the first not, race of the not, season. Nope. Not saying anything. Okay. I'm scared about breaking it. We're just, let's just, it's all just shut up. Like most of the news this week also. There wasn't much news this week, but we made it happen. We made a podcast happen. Let's let's just hold on to our butts and enjoy the racing. If it happens, which it will, I'm gonna stop talking now. Rob Zachney, final thoughts. Well, now I'm worried I'm gonna jinx it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. I'm sorry. I, I, like, it was me to me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Let's just fingers crossed. Let's go racing. All right. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our weird bonus episodes, you could do so over at patreon.com <laughs> slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all rain or shine race or not <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>